2: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial, Steve Peasley President, KPP Financial, Independent Thinking, Shared Success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon fellow investors and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 21st, 2021 edition of Invest Talk and we are as we move through the summer, It's important to stay focused on what matters in the markets, not the headlines, not Delta variants, all of this. It's about the economic reopening, uh, but also uh, a shift in growth trajectories in the second half of the year and going into 2022. Because remember, markets look six, nine months out. They're not just looking at what's happening today. And they're going to start to discount the bit of a slowdown uh, in the in the economy in the second half of the year, uh, and that brings opportunity but also risk. So it's important for you to keep your eye on the ball. And today's program of podcast, I'm going to do my best to help you with that process. And I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. We're going to go uh, talk about the markets and uh, sectors and strategies. All of that as I speak about it will be presented without bias, and I'm just going to give you the facts as I see them in front of me. Uh, as well as using my 20-plus years of investment experience. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and, of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show to your liking. I can talk about about whatever I want, but ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. So that's why I encourage you to interact with us right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our Anytime Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, that number is always 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So let's get to our first listener question now. Hey guys, my name is Lance from San Antonio, Texas.
0: I am interested in IIPR, Innovating Industrial Properties. I invested a pretty good percentage of my portfolio in it. Yesterday, they were talking about the Fed legalizing marijuana. I was basically curious what that would do to this REIT, basically, since they make a lot of their money off the premium that they charge these marijuana growers. We'd love to hear y'all's answers. I'll be listening to you on the podcast. Thanks a lot.
1: Well. This is Innovative Industrial Properties. This is a company that we own uh, Four clients have for some time. We like it. Uh, it's you, you, And you are right that they, they create a lot of value for the growers by going into municipalities that allow for grow facilities and getting uh, facilities licensed, and they lease them out at very high rates. And that's why they're growing so dramatically. Uh, earnings up 31% last quarter year-over-year, year, revenue up 103%, yields 2.6% now. This is a REIT. Uh, and a full federal legalization would hurt, hurt them. It would. Uh, but I don't see that happening, at least under the Biden administration. Uh, th- there's no indication, but that is something... Uh, He's looking to do, he may reschedule it uh, or uh, go somewhere where it's not actually legal uh, or sorry, not actually illegal. So decriminalization, Um, but full legalization. I don't think that's going to be a, a something the federal government does. They may once again decriminalize it and allow state by states to uh, have their own laws. And I think that's where the next step would be. I don't think you're going to go from full federal uh, being federally illegal to suddenly federally legal throughout all 50 states. It's just not going to work like that. Uh, But you're right to look at the risks that are involved and what could potentially happen if XYZ uh, does happen to the stock, and this is a good analysis that you have, but it's not a risk that I see on the table anytime soon. Now, my focus point today concerns the headline, housing starts rise in June and building permits fall. U.S. home building increased more than expected in the month of June, but expensive lumber and shortages of labor and land continued to constrain the ability of builders to meet up with that demand. What can we expect ahead? So we're going to touch on that. Then I want to get to a few other topics of note. One would be the euphoria on Wall Street. And what does that mean for expected returns going forward? What does the optimistic picture of the market look like? And whether that is instructive to understand where equity valuations and profits uh, and returns are likely to go. And then lastly, commodity production. So commodity production has been typically when prices go up, that brings on new production. Well, that's not happening right now. And I'm going to say why that is and why this is a strong indication that prices for commodities are going to stay relatively elevated over the longer term so that's what's on my mind but ultimately i want to know what is on your mind 888 chart 8899 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show let's check it on the market the s&p was up 35 points a strong snapback rally from that sell-off on monday you had two days in a row follow through to the upside and it's once again saying the market's telling you that the delta variant is not a factor if It's saying this is a buying opportunity for the value names, for the names that are going to benefit from the economic reopening. And that's what what you should take from the last few days or last couple of days uh, in the market. And I would continue to stay uh, stay with the market, uh, especially rotating to those value names. Now, we're heading into a quick break, but our objectives remain the same. We want to help you. We want to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our phone lines are open right now at 888-99-CHART.
0: For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. you found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Investdock. Hi, this is Donald and I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm going to establish a position in a tanker company. Two possible choices. One is NAT Nordic American Limited Tanker Company. This one is a little bit smaller than the second one, which is DHT Holdings. Just wanted to know which one is at the better buy point and what upside, and uh, out of those two, which one either of you would prefer? I seem to be leaning more towards DHT Holdings. It's a bigger company and in better shape. And uh, is this the right time for that uh, particular play? And thinking that it it has some definite upside potential because of the COVID opening and uh, a lot of the shipping disruption in the oil market. So uh, I would love to hear your opinion. Thank you. And I'll listen for your comment on
1: the podcast. Bye. All right. Looking at DHT Holdings and North American or Nordic American takers, excuse me. And these are obviously tanker companies. And the first thing I notice about these names is that they're in the single digits. Uh, NAT is trading at $2.79 at the close today. And DHT is trading at five dollars and ninety-three cents to at the close today. And I zoom out. I want to zoom out and look at the longer-term picture. And both of them look fairly value-destructive, value-destructive, uh, because uh, the the price when they first won IPO is much, much higher than it is today. Although they do pay uh, consistent dividends, and that that's part of it as well. Um, but then I go to their return on invested capital return on equity over the past decade and they're all both of them are in the single digits and and vacillate between positive and negative negative uh, and they're just not great great businesses and then i look at their shares outstanding nordic american takers had 47 million shares outstanding in 2011 they have 150 million shares outstanding today so more than tripled over the last decade And then DHT had 5 million shares outstanding in 2011. Now they have 171 million. So what it's telling me is they're just constantly issuing shares to pay that dividend. I don't like either of these names. The charts look terrible. um, And the, the economic fundamentals don't look good either. So the first thing I would say is... So don't focus on the fact that you might be looking at, oh, they pay a high dividend. Uh, the stock looks cheap because it's trading in the single digits. Uh-uh. I would not be looking at it that way. Now, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm doing DHT because it has better cash flow. The chart is certainly much, much better. NAT is near a 52-week low. Uh, but I, I wouldn't want to own either one of these. If you're looking for to, to capitalize on the shipping, I guess, boom, shall you call it? I like the third-party logistic companies that can source uh, the, the, the movement of these goods and they have different avenues for that. Like a DHT, they source their, uh, their shipping from a DHT or an NAT and they can charge an elevated margin. They have much more consistent of a business. So, uh, I'm not liking either of na- these names. I would look for a third party logistics company. Uh, but if I'm picking one, if I have to, if you're twisting my arm, it'd be DHT. Now when people invest the time, to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. So here's some questions from iTunes reviewers. All Star Miner says, can you provide an assessment on Rocket Mortgage? I'm looking to buy. What's a good price? And where do you see it down the road? Now, Rocket Mortgage, I believe this is a, a recent IPO. Uh, and let's see here. Yep, it is a e- recent IPO. And like most IPOs, they tend to inflate their numbers in the near term to get high valuations, etc. Uh, and this is a company that made $4 a share in 2020, but expected to make $2 this year and only $1.51 next year. So what's happening with the business here? $35 billion market cap. And I'm just not, not getting excited about this, to be honest with you. Um, let me take a look at the chart here. Yeah, the chart has just been really bouncing around. Uh, since it went IPO, it's below all the major moving averages. I'm not, I'm not excited about this name. I really am, not, I really am not with the 35 billion dollar uh, valuation uh, and the fact that analysts are expecting their earnings to fall 60% from 2020 levels. Why? I want to know why that is. So I'm going to pass on it until I have better clarity on that. Now, Kyle asked, what was wondering what you guys thought of Goldman Sachs on the pullback? Now, Goldman Sachs is benefiting from an environment where there's a lot of equity issuance and bond issuance and uh, just the investment world uh, is on fire. And they're an investment bank and they're doing uh, very, very well. Now, is it my favorite area of the financial services industry? No. Uh, but of the investment banks, Goldman is one of the best out there. So uh, I, I would, if you're get, looking to gain exposure for, to the investment banks, this is probably a good one. Uh, where would support be? Now, it hit support at the 100-day moving average here on Monday and has had a nice bounce. But technically, it's still looking like it's weakening. And I would be looking for an entry. Let me run some levels here for you. I'm going to go with $293, $293, $295, somewhere in that area. That would be a great buying opportunity for Goldman Sachs. Right now it's at $373.50. So that's where I'd be buying it on a pullback. Thanks for the review, Kyle. Now, please tell your friends and family members about our free Invest Talk podcast. And don't forget to rate and review. Now you're listening to invest talk i'm justin klein your goal of financial freedom will require the right information and effective strategies so we should talk about whatever is on your mind and your participation is vital so we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART
0: this is invest talk is your portfolio balanced is it optimized
1: Now, my focus point today concerns the headline housing starts rise in June and building permits fall. And let's unpack this a little bit. Now, U.S. home building increased more than expected in June, although expensive lumber, shortage of land and labor constrained builders ability to really take full advantage of uh, an environment where there's a lot of demand for housing and very, very low inventory record low, near record low inventory. Now data for for May was revised revised down to 1.5 million units from a previous, uh, well, 1.54 from a previous 1.57. And then housing starts overall rose 6.3% to a seasonally adjusted 1.643. So It depends on how you look at it. The previous month was revised down, but uh, the current housing starts beat uh, and but starts still remain below the March rate of 1.725 million units. So it's they're building more homes, but it's not at the same level as we saw just a few months ago. Now, what was more interesting was that permits for future home building that fell again to fell 5.1%. And if you look at the trend, the previous month, it fell 2.89. And the month before that, it fell 1.25. So you have three months in a row where the planning for future building was, was down. And there are a few reasons for that. And the main reason is cost of inputs. And although you might have seen lumber futures drop seventy percent from their record highs, a lot of that has is unwinding from traders. If you look at softwood lumber prices, that's still up one hundred twenty-five percent year over year. And there's a lot of potential volatility going forward with tariffs and uh, uh, wildfire season, etc., that could increase prices once again. And in fact. It's so big of an issue that home builders are have met with White House officials last Friday. They met with the Commerce Secretary and the Housing and Urban Development Secretary to discuss strategies to address the short term supply chain disruptions in the industry. And so the elevated building material prices, supply shortages uh, and and the lack of labor as well. That's a difficult part. So. While they are still building more and trying to fill that demand, they're seeing the uncertainty over the next 6, 9, 12 months to the ability to, to, to build homes profitably. Now, if you can do it, you're going to make a lot of money. But the question is, can they do it? The supply chains are so backed up, they're so uh, messed up that... They're not confident in their ability. And so why go out there and plan a ton of new builds when you're not confident you can actually execute on them? So that's where we're at right now. Uh, I still think the main driver of the housing market of the next 6, 9, 12 months is going to be the rent and, and mortgage moratorium, which is supposed to be at the end of this month, supposed to be up. Will they extend it again? That's a big question. Uh, and how much of that will come on market? Now, a lot of that won't come on market uh, because of distress. It's, you're, you're unlikely to see that because there is equity. And therefore, they can uh, owners who want to sell aren't going to be forced to sell, but they can put their uh, their product on market, their house on market, and it's going to sell relatively fast and at a relatively high price, at least in the near term. And so, I'm going to be monitoring this, and I'll keep you abreast of what I see with the inventory levels, which still remain near record lows. Now, let's keep the pace moving and pivot back to the InvestTalk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. Chris calling from Pittsburgh. I'm looking to gain some
0: exposure to small blended ETFs, and I am currently looking at the iShares Russell 2000, ticker symbol IWM. I'd like
1: your opinion about this fund and a good entry point. Thanks so much, and have a great day. All right, this is IWN, this is the iShares Russell 2000 Value ETF, the IWN, N is in Nancy. And if you look at the portfolio, you're going to have the highest weighting, which is AMC, which is crazy, you know, with all the what's happening with AMC and and GameStop and all that, and, and, and the Reddit traders. Uh, but what you're getting here really is a mix of value-oriented companies that uh, are small, relatively small, and they trade at pretty low multiples. The average P.E. within this fund is only 13. That's pretty low. Now, what is your entry point? Well, that depends. Uh, is this the best long-term entry into the market? Probably not. But you saw a bit of volatility in uh, on Monday. And you're likely to see more volatility throughout the second half of the year. And if I'm gaining, looking to gain exposure to this ETF, which is on the side that I would like to gain exposure to in the area of the market that I would like to gain broad exposure to, then I would just be looking for pullbacks, volatility in the market to be adding. Uh, These aren't real technical levels that you really want to be purchasing. That's not really how you buy an ETF, maybe an individual stock, but not an ETF. So uh, I I like the name. The the expense ratio is about 0.25%, which is a little high for an ETF, but it's a small cap ETF, so you're expected to pay a little bit more. Now, on the next and best talk, this story. Corporate earnings for 2021 are expected to come in 14% higher than originally forecasted, but in the end. Do stock market records rest more on faith than corporate profits? I will analyze that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust K E R O N E dot com, hacker dot com.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart.
1: Now, let's pivot to an email question, and this comes from Jay Wells. And the question is, I am I am 31, working with a company that offers a 401K, also practice real estate. I have multiple accounts active for, to save for retirement. Before I was working a job with 401K, I had a traditional IRA with PNC. I sporadically made contributions. I also have that set to aggressive because I feel I'm young enough for the growth this year, I started an Acorns account, uh, and money goes in as I use my credit card. I dabble with retail investing through Robinhood. My question is, do I have too much going on at once? Should I continue to contribute to all these accounts? Should I reduce and focus on one particular? And the answer is broadly yes. Now, if you if you have some kind of set-and-forget-it type of strategy, some uh, robo-advisor and you have confidence in their ability or you have a professional advisor like us and you're confident in their ability to uh, adjust to the, to the markets and, and make the right allocation decisions for you over the, the medium and long term, then I would say you don't have to worry about that. But when you're doing this all yourself, when you have real estate, you have your own 401k, you have an IRA, you have Acorns, you have Robinhood, there's too much going on here. So the first thing, first thing I would say is get out of Robinhood. Nobody should have a Robinhood account. It's so crazy that people have Robinhood accounts with all the issues that are going on, the lack of customer service. And the only reason anyone should, has a Robinhood account in the first place was free commissions. But Fidelity, TD, Schwab, E-Trade, all of these big brokers that have customer service, way more support, way more uh, research, everything are, are, are zero commission as well. So what is the point of having Robinhood? You should not have your money at Robinhood. End of story. I've seen too many issues. I've we've moved counts over from Robinhood and it's a disaster trying to deal with Robin Hood. Get your money out of Robinhood ASAP. That's all of you. Get to a big broker. Now you lo- you said you have uh, an IRA with PNC. Usually that's not good to have an IRA at a bank. They're limited options. Really probably putting you in mutual funds. Uh, they're probably not commission free trading any either. Uh, so I would try to consolidate as many of your accounts you- as you can into one broker: a Fidelity, a Schwab, a TD, an E Trade, etc. The companies that are big. Insured, uh, and have good customer service, long track record, and make your life simple. Now, the 401k, you're probably going to keep that with your employer. You can't really do much about that. Uh, if you change employers, obviously roll that into your IRA, uh, et cetera. But try to try to consolidate that A into all all one broker. Okay, that's first thing. Then combine accounts. Make sure you know you combine all, all your IRAs, all your individual accounts or joint accounts into one account as well. And then you can decide what you want to do with it. Whether you want to, most of these big ones have their own robo advisory services, or you put it with an advisor like us, or you do it all yourself. And that can keep your focus a lot better. And then you have to log in to one place, or maybe only one or two places with your 401k. Okay, so yes, I would consolidate all of that. As quickly as possible this is invest talk our phone lines never close so please uh, sorry i hit my mic there so people leave their finance and investment questions day and night 24 7 so let's grab another question from 88899 chart
0: hi my name is adam i'm calling from el dorado hills california and i was calling about joan joanne fabrics the ticker is j-o-a-n looks to be very undervalued has a manageable debt and plays a small dividend, just over 2%. But I was looking to buy it for price appreciation. I think it could go to around somewhere between $30 to $50 a share. It's currently right now at 15 and change. I was just wondering what you thought about this for a longer-term investment, anywhere from three to five years. I was looking to just dollar cost average into this over the next few years and have it be one of my core holdings. Anyways, just want to get your thoughts on it. Look forward
1: to hearing from you on the podcast. Thank you. All right. This is Joan Fabrics, J-O-A-N. And yeah, this looks pretty cheap here. Uh, they made, uh, they're made, they going to make $5.31 this year, but $2.84 next year and $3.01 in 2023. So it's probably going to level out around that $3 level. 2021 is uh, maybe a bit of an anomaly. But even so, their free cash flow trailing 12 months is $236 million. It's only a... 677 million market cap company yields 2.3%. Very cheap growing revenue. Uh, the chart looks fine. I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I like this J O a N Joan fabrics. Not exciting. They own fabric stores. 855 of them in 50 States. So well diversified. I know it's not once again, not exciting. It's fabric home decor. Crafting. Yarns need I don't think crafting really goes away. Wedding decorations. I I like this. I know it's not sexy, it's not uh it's not AI, it's not uh machine learning, it's not in the cloud. But guess what? It produces profits, it produces cash flow. Isn't that what you want from a business? Well for what I want. So I'm gonna give Joan a thumbs up. Now let's touch on Let's touch on sentiment right now. And throughout 2021, there's been a range of surveys, fund flow figures, option activity, and it shows that investors, both big and small, are exceptionally bullish. Now, analysts have long relied on sentiment indicators as contrarian. And we've had meme stocks and and record lumber prices, the bond markets rallying, even though we've had inflation. I've talked about, uh, I think that's more of a mechanism of lack of uh, supply and, and, and the consistent QE from the Fed. But a lot of investors are wondering, is it different this time? And as we know throughout history, it's not. But that does not mean that you have to have a crash, but it should temper your expectations for what's going to happen in the market going forward. And if you look at sentiment, it looks like it's been peaking, but it still remains well above long-term averages. Now, American stock allocation reached nearly 60% at the end of March. That was just below the all-time high of 61.7 during the dot-com bubble. E-Trade found that bullishness among platforms' individual investors hit more than a three-year high, rising to 65%. The equity put call ratio earlier this year notched, notched sustained levels of optimism not seen since 2000. And all these new retail investors have provided that extra boost, boost. Remember, the equity prices happen at the margins. It's the marginal demand or supply of the equities that determine the price. Now, recent market breadth has indicated that uh, even though major nexes are hitting all-time highs, the, only about 49% of stocks in the S&P 500 were trading above their 50-day moving average. Now, once again, this sentiment indicators are more short-term, but there are some longer-term implications for this, and if you look throughout history, The average annualized return for the S&P 500 over the following 10 years, when household stock allocations are above 54.6%, remember, we're at 60. So if it's above 54.6, the average annual return for the S&P over the next 10 years is 4.1%. So the near-term optimism certainly could set up a, a pullback, but it doesn't have to be, it's a crash. A lot of people are, are colored by, oh, it has to go down 50%. There has to be this huge crash. Uh-uh. It just can mean a lot of volatility over 10 years. And you only go, go up about 4% a year. Now, the inverse is true. When stock allocations hover on 29% or lower, the average annualized return over the next 10 years is 16.3%. So these are instructive. You have to look at these and you have to know what to expect. And the recent returns over the last decade plus of equities is not what you should expect going forward. You should be pricing in a more five, six percent allocate or, or, or return from your equity portfolio over the next decade based on where we're at today. All right. Now this invest talk, and I thank you. For listening, we now have surpassed 33 million downloads in our history. But please be sure to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. But for now, let's keep going and squeeze in another caller question. Hi, Stephen. Justin, first off, I want to say thank you very much for the show. Really appreciate it. My question is about a Roth IRA. My work offers a Roth IRA, and with that, they do offer the ability to match I don't know the exact percentage but it's a few percent uh, with this Roth IRA I have to invest in mutual funds that charge around like one one-and-a-half percent and I'm not a huge uh, fan of that and so I was curious would it make more sense to open up just my own Roth IRA through TD Ameritrade or one of the big brokers and just invest in ETFs uh, the reason being is I feel that ETFs are a lot better than mutual funds and I don't have to pay the big fees so would it make more sense to do that
0: or stick with the Roth IRA that is set up through my employer? So really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.
1: All right. Great question. And the simple answer is you want to contribute at up to your match, whatever that full match is, whether that's 50% or hundred percent, wherever you get to the point where you increase it anymore, you're no longer matched. You want to go to that level because Okay, maybe your investment options within your 401k are not fantastic. Your your mutual funds, and that's very common. And that's why I always encourage people if they move jobs or their company changes providers to always roll that into out into an IRA to open yourself up to more options. Okay, so uh, I I understand your your sentiment, but even if you're charged one, one and a half, two percent, you're still not going to beat that 50 or 100 percent return on your money from a company match you're just not going to beat it. It's guaranteed. And it's very high return. So make sure you get that. Now, once you get to that level, then you can think about, okay, opening up an IRA or a Roth IRA in your case, and contributing and maxing that out as well. And then if you have more to save, then you can maybe go back to your 401k and and increase that a little bit more. But that's kind of the order of operation that you want to think about. uh, When going over your contributions to your retirement accounts. Make sure you get that full company match. Every free dollar they're going to give you, make sure you're getting it. Now let's head to a live caller and talk with Zach in Indiana. He's looking at CRM, which is Salesforce.
0: Hi, this is Zach. I just had a quick question about Salesforce and what a good entry point for them would be, um, given that the news around them acquiring Slack today, um, the deal finally went through. I'm um, mm-hmm. just kind of curious on your guys' stocks for the stock and all that.
1: All right. This is uh, Salesforce.com, and this is one of the largest and one of the early movers in the cloud software space, $224 billion market cap. And it's been consolidating here since, oh, uh, what, what's the date on that? Big move higher. That was August of last year. It surged from about $200 a share, hit as high as $280 and has been consolidating in this range between $280 and $200 for a while. Now we're in the middle of it, $242 a share. And this is a consistent, strong business growing their earnings and cash flow, trading 12 months, $5.6 billion in free cash flow. What I don't like is they continue to issue more and more shares. Why, Why do you need to issue more shares? This equity compensation uh, packages that I think are probably out of control. They've gone from 541 million shares outstanding in 2012 to nearly double that, 937 million today. So that's my, my biggest worry is that, yeah, you're, you're getting more uh, growth, but you're getting more dilution as well. And the return on equity, return on invested capital have been pretty modest, and that worries me uh, a bit. Uh, but I, I like the company overall. Uh, I don't necessarily love the Slack deal, especially with uh, what Microsoft is doing with Microsoft Teams and embedding it a little bit, a lot more in the next version of Windows. I think that's going to kind of hurt the uptake of Slack. We use Slack, but um, we don't, you know, we just have that kind of the basic version. Uh, and we may go to Teams after we see what uh, Microsoft, uh, or sorry, Windows 11 looks like. So I don't love that part of it. But I do like Salesforce overall. Uh, CRM is the is, is their main uh, revenue source, and they sure. they're they're the leaders in, in a lot of industries in that way. So um, I like the chart. I, I like the business. Once again, I don't love the Slack deal, but uh, I like the cash flow. I love consistency there, and yeah. So there's some good and some bad, uh, but it's not at a valuation yet where I would love it because we're still uh, we're we're still at a 220 plus billion dollar market cap and. Their operating earnings yield is only 0.4%. Enterprise value, it was 55, t- trading at t- 10 times revenues, you know. Um, so I- I'm okay on it. It is on my watch list for uh, uh, the right price. Closer to 175, 180, I think I would uh, I would go with it. Um, do you own it or are you looking to buy it?
0: Um, well, I'm actually in a position at, at Salesforce now, um, just starting, and they have the basically the stock discount for employees um so i was just kind of curious on how i should approach um i think i get a 15 percent discount um is what i've heard during orientation so we're kind of curious on whether or not i should be looking into that and you know buying as many shares yeah as i, I can would probably
1: i would probably do that uh and take that 15 percent but as you get to long term and you get the long-term capital gains on on those purchases then i would start to sell them and try to uh, utilize that 15% discount and uh, that long-term capital gains to, to, to build over time. Uh, and make sure it doesn't get too big of your too big a percentage of your overall portfolio. Try to limit to about 10% of your overall retirement assets. Uh, but I like Salesforce as a company. Uh, I like that 15% discount. But make sure it doesn't get too high a percentage of your assets. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. When our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 99 chart.
0: Let's take a quick look at your financial to do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will provide unbiased answers to your questions. Invest Talk, 888 99, Chart.
1: Let's go talk to Edgar in San Diego looking at NVIDIA. Uh,
0: hi, Justin. How are you this afternoon?
1: I'm um, doing pretty well. Uh, do you own NVIDIA or are you looking to buy it?
0: I, I started a position, uh, I think, about a couple of months ago around summer. I think it was a little bit below 550. Now I'm thinking, is this a good time to add more or what's your opinion about this?
1: No, I think uh, NVIDIA is pretty expensive at these levels, and our value is is still lower than where it is today. And I uh, actually had a talk at a uh, at a call, ask a question about this uh, on Invest Talk Office Hours today. And the level of support to me uh, after this recent split, FYI, I did do a four for one split. What day was that? I think Yesterday, was day before, day. yeah. Uh, now it's at uh, 194, so roughly uh, 800 uh, split adjusted, and it's a one about 140 is the support level. Uh, but my value is right around there, right around 140. So at 194, I think it's overvalued. So I'd be patient on buying more at these levels. Thanks for the call. Now, one thing I want to close on is a change in. A sector uh, and I think this is going to be very important to the economy over the next decade plus, and that has to do with commodities and a recent report uh, from BhP, one of the largest commodity producers in the world, and what the CEO said was that investors that m- in, in mining companies typically are burned by bull runs because new production comes on and increases supply and pushes prices back down. And the economic viability of a lot of those mines that are put on are not that great at much lower commodity prices. And historically that's what you've seen. The last major big commodity bull run back in 2008, 2007 All these companies invested in huge, huge production. That's not the case in today's world right now. And they're talking about it actively. Global miners are favoring profits and returns to investors. So dividends, stock buybacks, over putting money into new mines. Now the world's top 40 miners are expected to report a combined net profit of $118 billion in this year. That's up from 70 billion last year, 61 billion the year before but it expects growth of output in the 12 months through June of next year to broadly match previous year's production. So no new supply on net. BHP has a project pipeline that's almost empty. During the last bull market of commodities, they had 18 major projects that were completed. Now they just have two in development. And so they've learned from the previous cycle, and you also have ESG pushing them to not produce new supply of oil and natural gas and coal and, and, and copper and lead and cobalt. But these are all things, for the most part, that go into electric cars, new, renewable energy product, products, and are going to be in high demand if you want to shift in an ESG world to more sustainable Energy, we're really moving from an environment where we're getting our energy from oil and and, and carbon uh, sources to metals, using metals, copper, lithium, cobalt, etc., to convert light into energy. So the industry has a great track record of being... Very cyclical and it usually ends in tears. And so while they're still looking for new opportunities, they're very selective, and this is likely to keep the price of commodities relatively high for the foreseeable future because there's just not a lot of new supply and they're not investing in it. I'm Justin Klump- I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. You can get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Your positive rating raises our profile and helps spread the word and gets more great questions into the show. And if you leave a brief question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. You can browse by topic as well over at investtalk.com. 401k, cryptocurrency, Chinese stocks, precious metals, whatever it is, you can browse over there. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
2: And at times, will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461.